You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. Japanese Zen master Eihei Dogen was kind of the father of the Soto Zen lineage says, if you cannot find the truth where you are, where do you expect to find it? Truth is not far away. It is ever present. It is not something to be attained since not one of your steps leads away from it. I love this quote. If you cannot find truth where you are, where do you expect to find it? We build up all this stuff thinking, okay, well, if I can just add a little more, I'm lacking in the following ways. If I can fill these positions and points of lack, these positions and points of vulnerability, if I can somehow smooth them over just right, then truth will be there. Or if I just take another meditation class, or I go to this next retreat, or I listen to this teacher, or I watch this video, or I listen to this podcast, whatever it happens to be, I'm that close, I'm that close. If I can just mm, add a little more, I'll be fine. Except the truth is actually right where you are, right where I am, right where we continually, always already have been. Truth is not far away. It is ever present. It doesn't move. We do. Our minds do. In fact, if our minds are not moving, they're not minds. Ego and mind, here I use them synonymously, can only exist if there is movement, either in the direction of past or in the direction of future. But the minute it gets into that spaciousness of the present moment, where there is no movement at all, no past, no future, just here and now, it starts recognizing truth. It starts recognizing that ever-present truth that has always been there. It realizes, ego and mind in this case, realize that if it allows that in, it doesn't have a function anymore. So it keeps perpetually putting us in a position of perceived lack in order that it may convince us that awakening, that truth, that our apprehension of truth is something that needs to be attained, something that needs to be achieved. Yet not one of our steps ever leads us away from it or any closer to it. It's always already right 
here. So we're continually living from this position of lack. We're continually living from this position of almost complete. And every once in a while, we get a glimpse. Oh, goodness, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe I've done it. No. My kids just pissed me off, so therefore I somehow didn't. Or my mate. My mate just got me, just pushed my buttons big time right there. And it, or... God, if the news could only give us something that we didn't have to fear. How come every station couldn't be like PBS? Why is it that those trucks make so much noise when I'm trying to meditate? They drive by, damn, we need a new place to meditate. You know, whatever. I mean, there are all sorts of these great stories, great little addictions that ego gets us just grasping towards or avoiding. As long as there's a move towards grasp or a move towards avoidance, ego wins. It's at home. It's absolutely invulnerable in that place because that's the only place it can live. Ego can be in charge only if there's grasping or avoiding. All that's left is freedom. But freedom will continually bring about the five stages of grief to ego. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I guess it was in her late 60s, 1969, if I'm not mistaken, her, her book uh, on death and dying, I might be wrong here, but it was, uh, she goes through these five stages of grief that exist cross-culturally. And if we look at our first one, it's denial. Okay. Awakening is not possible. Nah, mm-mm. No, it's not going to happen in this lifetime. Maybe in another lifetime, but not in this lifetime. Okay? Ego will go through these stages the minute it feels like it's even close, like it even gets onto the path, that vibration that it starts to sense, okay, okay nah, it couldn't happen. Denial. Then comes anger. Anger, blame, defensiveness. I'm not so sure I even want awakening because, because if, you know, if I get it, I'd never get out of bed. I would be just a blo- I would be the quintessential couch potato. I don't want that. Humanity doesn't need that. Humanity needs me and my righteousness to be thrust onto the global stage so that I can end war. God damn it. <laughs> never mind the fact that I'm at war with myself. That's not the point. I want to save people, and I want to save this planet. I want to save the rainforest. I don't need to save myself. I'm not important. Really cool trick there, huh? I mean, ego's got itself convinced of this amazing story. Then comes bargaining, and it begins to bargain. Uh, well, okay, well, maybe we'll, we will sit a little bit. Um, I like this particular practice because it's easier on my body. 
or I like this particular practice because it's, it's comfortable for my, I'm fragile emotionally and, and this one doesn't push. Or I like this one because it's hardcore. Or like, you know, whatever. It bargains and will let a little bit of the light shine. It'll let a little bit in. It'll let us experience a little bit of bliss, but then it pulls back because it realizes that that openness, that that expanse means its own demise. So it'll only bargain and let us have a little bit. After this stage comes the recognition that it doesn't have a choice. That opening to infinity will happen whether or not ego continues to bargain or to be angry, defensive, and blame, or to deny. It will happen no matter what upon our death. And then it's caught. It begins the stage of depression. There's a certain dark night of the soul that we go through in any authentic spiritual practice that takes us into this, uh-oh, this is so much. I don't know if I can do this. And that stage lasts until there's an exhaustion, a spiritual exhaustion. At that last point of exhaustion, there is acceptance. There is letting go. There is a divine surrender to the divine. And there's this full recognition at that point that what we have always been looking for is what is looking. At that point of acceptance, we recognize that what we have always been looking for is what has been at the source of the looking itself. At this point, unconsciousness gives way to consciousness. And consciousness itself gives way to awareness. And awareness itself gives birth to all things. All things arise out of this awareness. And at that point, we are awakened by all things. All things become our teacher. All things become a direct path to realization. All things open us. We're no longer being blown around by circumstance. We're no longer confined by this idea that I am somehow in here and everything else is out there. And our activity doesn't come from that place of separation any longer. We're no longer acting from a place of constant vulnerability, constant instability, constant avoidance, constant greed. There's something bigger there's something deeper. 
ego or the mind or the I or me sense or whatever you want to call it. becomes something we can just pat on the head. Oh, there you are. Thanks for all your help. Sorry you, you feel hurt. Sorry you've been going through these stages of grief. I bet that denial was tough, wasn't it, huh? That anger, that bargaining. Those three stages were really difficult, weren't they? All of this stuff gives way. All of this, all of this muck, including the next stage of depression, and the acceptance itself gives way to this flowering like a lotus. Like the lotus opens, and when rain hits each petal, it holds just enough until it spills it. No matter what's raining down on us, we're able to be present with it. We have become the acceptance. We have become the openness. And it's not that the rain doesn't hit us anymore. It's not that pain, grief, anguish don't come into our lives. It's that our relationship to them is no longer distorted. We no longer have this distortion that we can feel, that we can embody, and that we can act upon when we are bound by mind, when we are bound by time, and when we are bound by this I sense, this egoic position. The distortion melts away, and there's a purity that allows our eyes to see themselves in others. And from here, we lead an ultimate life. Instead of being bound by circumstance, we lead an ultimate life, one of wisdom, where this ultimate life and conventional circumstance are fused as one. It's a, again, a knowing with a capital K as opposed to a knowing intellectual understanding. It's a knowing, a big knowing. And any activity that comes from this place of big knowing is compassion, is grace. It's love without any attachment, without any stories, without any boundaries. It's just pure, radiant, ever-present love that we essentially just open the floodgates and let it flow from us and miraculously it comes back to us. And continually allowing these gates to be open is enlightenment. When we totally surrender to what is being offered that co-arises and is co-created by us and everything else. 
with a sense of mission to support this in ourselves and others simultaneously, this allows each of us to not only embody, but to offer the continual unfolding of the universe. It allows us, with every step, to kiss the ground with our feet. It allows us, with every breath, to be reborn and every exhalation to die. It allows us to keep from getting caught by anything, by anyone, by any situation, by any idea, because we are resting in the source of all of it. I have a practical question first. Mm -hmm. uh, can I um, print what you just said no. from your computer? <laughs> from the computer? You cannot print it from the computer, but you can listen to it again and again. <laughs> I, can, I, I can listen to it mm -hmm. in the computer? Yeah, you just click on the title. Okay. And, and the whole thing will load onto your computer and, uh, I can listen. and you can listen to it. The reason for the question is that what you just talked about, Mike, is for me, <clears throat> I'm sure, a lifetime effort. It's, 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 it's not easy. Now, when you talked about truth, is there a synonymous for the word truth, the only one, the only other way I can think of truth is maybe finding my true nature or truth being the here and now as the only thing that's true. I need your help with that. Well, actually, I don't think you do need my help with that at all. It sounds like you got it. Now let go of it. <laughs> Think about that. Think about your articulation was the only truth, Michael, that I know, at least what I heard was that all we have, the only truth I know is the here and now. So let's substitute here and now for Dogen's word truth, okay? okay? And let's see what it sounds like. If you cannot find the here and now where you are, where do you expect to find it? The here and now is not far away. It is ever present. It is not something to be attained since not one of your steps leads away from the here and now. Pretty good translation? Yeah. Yeah, it's all there is. The present moment is all there ever has ever been. It's all that ever will ever be. It's all there is. Yet we build through an entire lifetime something that fights against that. When I say that it is a lifetime effort, it's because, and I told you the first time I came that I can, and the only way I can understand what you talk about is you know, in relation to myself, mm -hmm. that um, I think of it as a lifetime effort because uh, it seems to me on a daily basis, I'm a constant flop. One continuous mistake? Continuous mistake. That's enlightenment. 
okay? Ego freaks out at that. Huh? What do you mean? What do you mean? No, it can't be. One continuous, oops. Well, flop is a bad word. No, flop is just fine. It's just <laughs> fine. It's just fine. And, and when you say that you interpret this in relationship to yourself and so mm -hmm. forth, that's, that's all you got. That's, that's, that's the vehicle, in other words. That's the only vehicle you have, but it's also the only vehicle you need to awaken. You have everything you could possibly need to awaken. That's truth. That's here and now. You are here and now. That's all you need. That is awakening. And the mind will continually think that it's making a goof, making an error. I'm not doing this right. I'm somehow in a position or a point of lack, right? Just become intimate with that lack. And you'll see how miraculously it fills itself. There's a recognition, oh, I was never lacking to begin with. I had everything I ever needed right here, right now. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to use Lucy's word, flop. Because mm -hmm. um, what I'm finding in this learning is that I'm a flop a lot of the time, but what I'm seeing it now as exactly right, perfect. The flop? The flop. You're right. Okay, so it's this odd juxtaposition of total failure and perfect. If the failure is total, it's perfect. Flop is just a judgment by ego. Ego trying to manage the entire experience of awakening by saying, ah, this is closer, that is not. So we go back to the quote. If you cannot find truth where you are, where do you expect to find it? Flop, non-flop, flip, psh, who cares? It's all right here, right now. It's all a divine manifestation of the truth, of the source, of the deep singularity. Nothing is separate from that. Things are to varying degrees more or less conscious of it. And we have a great name for things that lack consciousness, that lack the knowing with a capital K and we call them evil. Evil is just a tremendous lack of consciousness in the expanded sense and more of an intensified consciousness in the density of, of uh, contraction. That contracted sense of self, when it is collectivized, becomes very, very dangerous. But the minute we can look at flops, as being gifts, God tickling us, then it's all just a, mirac a miracle, it's a dance. And every wrong step just leads to a different kind of spin. But we're still spinning.
and most likely smiling. I'm trying more and more to be, and to be mindful, that is to be in the moment. And, but I find that usually in order to do that, I've got to exert some of my will to, to stop my mind from, from racing, either racing ahead or dwelling in the past. Mm-hmm. But isn't will another, another return for ego? It depends uh, if there's an attachment to will. If there's an attachment to it, yeah, it's egoic. If will doesn't have an attachment to it, it's big intention. You can also do it in two ways. You could just really simplify simplify this and say that there is small will, dense or contracted or heavy will, which is egoic. And you could say that there's light, expansive, and open will which is God's grace, which is awakening, which is Buddha mind, okay? And so when your mind is racing in the past or in the future, your way into big will is to watch the race. Do not exert anything onto the mind. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're just giving it more sense of separation. Instead, watch it. Watch the mind race. And say, wow. (laughs) Whatever it is in you that can actually watch is what's doing the looking. Mm 